Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This is part two of a series that I started last week. And it's really a series about spiritual warfare. You see, when you know your enemy and how he operates, it gives you an incredible advantage. I remember being a young lad growing up uh, and in my teenage years and early 20s playing a lot of soccer. And uh, part of the journey was that we would work on our skills, we work on our team plays, but coupling that, we would also study the other team. And invariably, year after year, you'd play the same teams and you'd get to know the opponents quite well. And that was always an advantage because if you knew your opposition, then you knew how to uh, play against them. And guys that were strong on their left feet, and this is what I learned, guys that were strong with the left feet, usually, Macca, usually never had a right foot. And so what you do, you try to push them to their right foot so that uh, it would take away some of the power of their shooting and power of their game. To know your opponent gave you an incredible advantage. We see that in the football. Whenever there's a strong player, usually they'll be tagged. In order to take the strong players out of the game, They'll have extra attention. Why those ones? Because we know how they operate. I just wish right now that the Adelaide Crows had at least someone who was strong enough that was worthy of being tagged. But right now we just don't have anyone who is worthy of a tag. And so to all the Port Adelaide supporters, God bless you. In actual fact, if there's one thing I'm glad about lockdown, it's that I don't have to have a room full of Port Adelaide supporters this morning, but I'm sure you'll flood the comments and the chats section today with your love for your team. Kudos to you. It was a really disappointing game for all of us Crows fans, but for all of you Port Power fans, I know there are some in the room today. Give us a shout out if that's you in the room today. Oh, you're a noisy bunch, you really are. But God bless you, all the best. But the season is not over. It is for the crows, but it's not over. I'm just saying, it is what it is. But the Bible does tell us that we have an enemy. In actual fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind, for the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that someone is you. That someone is me. And we need to know our enemy. We need to know his plans. We need to know his strategies. And if we don't, what's going to happen is we'll end up fighting the wrong fights. We'll end up fighting the wrong battles. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I shared it last week. It says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the other believers in the congregation. It's not with the other church down the road. It's not with other people. It's actually against principalities and powers, against rulers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Behind all the evil in the world today is the demonic influence. And last week we spoke about better the devil you know. We have a, the devil is very real and he's the leader of a demonic army and he wants to kill, steal and destroy you. And I don't say any of this to scare you, but to prepare you because the good news is that unlike God, the devil is not all powerful. In other words, he's not omnipotent and he's not all knowing. In other words, he's not omniscient and he's not ever present. In other words, he's not omnipresent. His rule and His reign is limited. In the very beginning of time, we read even last week that He wanted to be like God. And the reality is He's not 
like God. And you need to take heart from that today, church. Having said that, He is powerful. He is knowledgeable. And He is an incredible schemer. In actual fact, in the world today, the population has increased exponentially since Jesus' time. The world population has grown exponentially in the last 2,000 years. But the demonic population has not. And I believe for the most part, we're not dealing necessarily with the devil himself and maybe not even the demons so much as we are the devil's schemes. I believe we're dealing today more with his schemes than we are with the devil or demons themselves. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you may take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. Not necessarily the devil up front and centre, but His schemes. And so today I want to speak to you and the subtitle of my message is simply this, Taming Temptation. Why temptation? Because I believe that temptation is one of the greatest schemes that devil has to bring us down, to kill, steal and destroy from you or I. He wants to tempt us into doing things we shouldn't do. He wants to tempt us into doing things that are going to destroy us. And some of those things looked appealing, much like that, that fruit in the Garden of Eden. It looks good. It looks good to eat. And He uses these things to tempt us into His schemes and away from the plans and the purposes of God. My question to you watching online today and those that are in the room, who here has ever been tempted? Crystal, Kendall, have you ever been, sorry. Kendall, have you ever been tempted? Yeah, we Tim Tams in the cupboard. Oh my God. That's not a temptation. That's a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> Tim Tams. Oh my gosh. I hear you. I hear you. Naomi, have you ever been tempted? Once or twice. I, I think, I think you know, temptation puts us all on the same page. We've all been tempted from time to time to do things we know we shouldn't, but gee, it just looks so good. Gee, they just taste so good. Oh, I just want a little bit of this. I want a little bit of that. And being tempted, I want you to know up front and centre that that doesn't make you a bad person. Wanting those Tim Tams does not make you a bad person. It just makes you a person. It puts us on an even playing field. And so this morning, what I want to do is do a little bit of a case study on the devil and how he operates. Why? Because if you know what he did, then you're going to know what he's going to do. If you know what he did in the past, you'll know what he will do today in the present and ongoing into the future. And so if you were at home, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, or you can follow on the screen. Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 1, says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, get this, he was hungry. Understatement. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and He will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Verse 11 says, Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Again, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. We don't want to study the devil and obsess over the devil and make the devil up front and centre. But we do want to study how he works so that we can be prepared for when he attacks and that we might be aware of his schemes. So let's just lean in and listen up today. But firstly, a few things about temptation. Firstly, temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Repeat after me, it's not a sin. And the reason I know that is because Jesus was tempted. And we know that Jesus never sinned. So being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. It's really important we understand that. If you're being tempted, it's not a sin. Secondly, temptation is not from God. We know that according to James chapter 1, verse 13, it says that temptation does not come from God. It is not from God. Categorically, it is not from God. However, we do know that God allows temptation. We see that Jesus Himself was led by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In other words, God put Jesus in a place to be tested and God will put you and I in places to be tested. Maybe you want to write this down. This is profound. The enemy tempts us to do wrong, but God tests us to make us strong. I'll say that again. The enemy tempts us to do wrong, but God tests us to make us strong. And when it comes to temptation, I would say this, that we need to avoid temptation where we can, but confront it where we can't. Because some temptation we can avoid and some temptation we can't avoid. And so the temptation we can avoid, uh, let's avoid it. In other words, um, when you are dating with someone and, and you want to remain pure and holy and, and you want to be able to get married in, in that pure state, then I would say this, don't be home alone when you're dating because it's just too much of a temptation because you're putting yourself in a place that's gonna cause you to be tempted possibly beyond what you can bear. And uh, another example might be that if you're trying to lose weight, then don't have chocolate in the fridge. Or Tim Tams, Kendall. Don't have Tim Tams in the fridge. There's nothing wrong with Tim Tams in and on themselves. But if you're trying to get in shape and you're trying to lose weight, then, then it's just going to make it that much harder. Yeah. And, and I would say, why use discipline when you can use wisdom? Yeah. Why use discipline when you can use common sense? And the trouble with common sense is this, it's just not that common. You know, you can have your food or your pantry stack with all the wrong foods and say, I'm going to lose weight. And you can go to that cupboard and use discipline and say, I'm not going to eat you. I'm not going to eat you. I'm not going to eat you. And use discipline to overcome. But I would say, why use all that energy? Why use all that mental thought overcoming temptation that you've put right there in front of you? If you want to lose weight and you want to eat the right food, I would say simply get rid of all the wrong foods from your cupboard and your fridge and you're gonna have a lot better success rate in losing the weight that you desire. And so it is when it comes to the plans and purposes of God. If you wanna fulfil the plans and purposes of God for your life, to remove some of the temptation. If you want to be pure for the day that you get married and you want to marry as a virgin, as the Bible encourages us to do, then again, let's remove some of the temptation. And thirdly, temptation does not cause us to sin. Temptation in and of itself does not cause us to sin. 
In other words, we can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. We can't blame the devil. Sin occurs when we give in to temptation. And that's an act of our will. And we can't blame anyone else, the devil included, when we surrender our will to that which we shouldn't be doing. So let's look at some strategies the devil, uh, the devil sorry, uses in the temptation process. You ready for this, Paul? You ready? Yeah. You cool? You're taking notes? Yeah. Very good. Fantastic. The first one is simply this. The devil waits for an opportune time. We see that in Jesus' life. He waits for an opportune time. Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days being tested in the wilderness. And, and this was a type, this was an illustration of what Israel experienced for 40 years of testing in the wilderness. And, and we read about that in, the, uh, in Deuteronomy and, and the first few books in the Bible there. And it was during that time He fasted. Jesus fasted for 40 days. That in and of itself is miraculous. Some of us can't even fast for 40 minutes let alone 40 days, especially when there's those Tim Tams screaming at us. I mean, it's crazy. And then, and I think this is one of the biggest understatements recorded in the Bible, it says, Jesus was hungry. I mean, 40 days, and let's be honest, 40 minutes, I start getting, 40 hours, and I mean, I'm, I'm famished. I'm, I'm ready to do whatever I have to do to get some food into my system. But here's Jesus after 40 days, and He was hungry. And guess who shows up? in this weakened, hungry state. Jesus is not only uh, weakened uh, and hungry, but He's been in the desert. He's been exposed to all the elements. Now remember, there's no air conditioning. There's no heating or cooling. There's no creature comforts. There's no beds. There's no pillows. Jesus is in a weakened state in this moment. And that's when the enemy shows up. He waits for an opportune time. He waits till we feel weak. He waits till we feel vulnerable. He waits till when we feel invincible. That's when the enemy showed up in Jesus' life and that's when the enemy is gonna show up in our lives because that's how he operates. So let's be aware of how he works. When Jesus was a baby, that's when uh, the king, Herod, was demonically inspired to kill all the babies two years and under in the town where Jesus was born. Why? Before this baby grew into a man and had some power. Let's kill this, this Messiah. Let's kill this God child as a babe. That's when the enemy wants to attack you. And that's why for me, particularly for the young guys, I would say not too much good happens after 12 o'clock. Why? Because that's usually when we're tired. That's when we're fatigued. Not much good happens after 12 o'clock. Just saying it, just putting it out there. Write that down, particularly if you're younger today. Secondly, the devil quotes Scripture out of context. The devil quoted Psalm 91. And he said, jump off the temple and the angels will catch you. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is like a, a 450 foot drop, approximately 137 metre fall. The devil is, is using Scripture out of context and he's appealing to the, the love that people have for the spectacular. Have you noticed that? People love the spectacular, that they love the supernatural. And, 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 and the devil is, is using the supernatural and the spectacular to try to entice Jesus based upon Scripture. And it's a blatant misuse 
misuse, sorry, of Scripture. And it's one of the devil's favourite screams, uh, screams, he does scream it. But one of his favourite schemes is to use Scripture out of context. And this is what I know about the Bible. When you use Scripture out of context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And, and, and some of the best Scriptures, some of the most well-known Scriptures are those Scriptures that get used out of context most. For example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know about you, I love that passage of Scripture. But many people use that Scripture to do whatever they want to do. And so they just jump off a building because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They sleep around, they get drunk. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, without the right context, you can make the Bible say whatever it is you want it to say. Another Scripture that I love that gets used out of context often is, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And so our prayers are this shopping list. God, give me a job. God, give me the girl or give me the guy. God, give me the promotion. God, I wanna win the lottery because after all, I can ask anything in your name and it will be given to me. But the reality is that is out of context because God is not your bellboy. He's not the one we ring the bell and, and get whatever it is that we want. A text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. I'm gonna say that again. A text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. And a pretext is simply an excuse to do something or say something that is not accurate, that ultimately suits your purpose. So we're learning, hopefully, some of the schemes of the enemy today. Thirdly, the devil offered a shortcut to God's purpose. The devil offered Jesus bread, angels and kingdoms, all of which were God's plan for him. The difference is that the devil wanted Jesus to have it there and then. And it wasn't the right time. And what I find is the devil will offer us some of the things that God is offering us, but he offers it before the appointed time. Because if we get it before the appointed time, the devil knows that we're not ready to handle it. And I believe that's one of the things that is the spirit of this age. We want it all and we want it now. And as I've mentioned many times before, if you go to McDonald's and go through the drive-thru and they send you to the waiting bay, I mean, we just get agitated because we did not go through the drive-thru to get put to the waiting bay. We went to McDonald's because we wanted our food and we wanted it now. In this life, we want everything now. We see young people, they're getting married and they want all the modern furniture now. I remember when we got married, we were happy to have hand-me-downs. If someone had an old couch that was ripped, uh, that, was, that was great, we would take that. Now, it's like, I'm not having that. I'm not even that. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. We actually went to uh, offer some of our furniture to one of the, uh, to donate it to one of the charities that's out there. And back in the day, that charity would have just snapped up our gear. Now they said, no, sorry, it's not good enough. A charity turned down our, our stuff. I couldn't believe it. But it, it, it's indicative of the age we live in. We want, we want it all and we want it now. We want the best. But that's not how God operates. You see, the devil is happy for you to take a shortcut as long as you stop learning the lessons you need to learn. But in order to get it, you have to go through things in life. And a great illustration is that of a caterpillar. And it gets put into a cocoon and it's there. It has to fight its way free from the cocoon to become the butterfly that God intended it to be. 
And it's been proven that if you try and free that butterfly before the appointed time, it will actually die because it needs to use those muscles and it needs to use the strength of breaking free from the cocoon to prepare it for its next. And the enemy wants to give you something before you are ready for it. He doesn't mind you having what God wants you to have as long as you miss out on the lessons you need. And in Luke 15, we read an incredible story of what we call the prodigal son. And this prodigal son went to his dad and said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I wish you were dead. In actual fact, you are dead to me and I want my inheritance now. And the dad graciously gave him the inheritance. The trouble is when you get your inheritance before you're ready for it, guess what happens? You lose it. And that's exactly what we see taking place in the prodigal son's life. He goes out, he has friends, he has lots of friends, he got lots of friends. When you got lots of money, you have lots of friends. And he had lots of friends while he had lots of money. But as the money dwindled, guess what? The friends dwindled. And in the end, all he had was a pig full of, uh, a pen full of pigs to eat with. And thankfully, the story goes on that he came to his senses and came home and the father loved on him, which is a whole nother story, which I don't have time to go into today. But know this church, the devil will give you what God wants you to have as long as you are not ready to handle it because he knows that if you're not ready to handle it, ultimately you're gonna lose it. And that's his purpose, to kill, steal and destroy from you and from me. Fourthly, is this helpful? Hope it's helpful at home. Maybe you can write in the comments if it is being helpful. I trust it is. Again, we're not here to give the devil any glory. We are here to expose him this morning. Number four, the devil looked, uh, sorry, the devil took Jesus to church. I love this one. I love this one. This, this one's like, really? Yeah. It says the devil took Jesus to the temple. I love this thought. See, the devil is happy for you and I to go to church. What he doesn't like is if we change as a result. The devil doesn't mind Daniel going to church, but what he doesn't like about Daniel is how he's changed. And I can testify that in the year we've known Daniel, he is a different person. See, it's not going to church that's the goal. It's the things that take place in church and the changed lives. The devil doesn't mind us going to church. In actual fact, if we are going to go to church, what he wants to do is distract us. And he wants to get us talking about the volume of music. He loves it when believers argue about whether the music's too loud, whether it's too soft whether we should have drums in the church. I mean, this seems so ridiculous, but back in the day, having drums in the church was a massive, massive problem for the church. And it was like, if you have the, the, the churches that had drums in the church, they were, that was, they were inspired by the devil. And I think the devil's just rubbing his hand together. This is awesome. If we can talk about the volume of music and miss the point, then he's rubbing his hands together. If we can talk about leaders and if we can talk about pastors and if we can talk about connect group leaders and we can talk about what we're not getting and what's not happening for us, He rubs His hands together. If we can be in church on the internet watching the football scores as the Word of God has been preaching, He loves it. Know this, when we're checking the football scores in church, ultimately we are falling for a scheme of the enemy. Now, is there anything wrong with football? Well, not football, but there is something wrong with the Adelaide Crows right now. I tell you, they're broken. But there's nothing wrong with football or any sport in and of itself. But when you bring that into the church, when you bring that into the church and we're meant to be here worshipping the living God, when we're meant to be listening to the Word of God, I, I think every time we do that, we're falling for the scheme of the enemy because his scheme is to distract you. He doesn't mind you going to church. He even took Jesus to church. But he doesn't want us to change. 
He doesn't want us to be transformed by the power of His Word. I see church like a big phone box. Remember when Clark Kent would go into the phone box and be transformed and get changed into Superman? I feel like that's what church is all about. That we can come together and I'm looking forward to being able to do that in the flesh in a few weeks' time. Uh, But I believe when we gather together, and it's been online in more recent times, but I still believe that what is taking place here can be translated to where you are and we can see transformation take place. Is this helpful? Number five, the devil questioned God's authority. He said, if you are the Son of God. Now the reality is Jesus knew He was the Son of God. And it was confirmed at His baptism. Jesus was baptised, He came up out of the water and the voice came from heaven and said, this is my Son whom I love and with Him I am well pleased. His identity, His acceptance and His approval came from the Father. He didn't need to prove anything. He'd already received that Word from God. See, Jesus was challenged by the devil to prove His Sonship through ability. And and I believe that's what He does for us. He tries to get you to prove that you're a Christian by what you do. And when you don't do what you should do, He accuses you, which is another scheme of the enemy. He says, ah, if you you were a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. No, the reality is there's there's brokenness and we're all a work in, in, in progress. This is the work of sanctification that takes place on a daily basis. And the, uh, Jesus was challenged to prove His Sonship based upon His ability. But Sonship is never based on ability. It's always based on birthright. Yeah, so Many of you who know me know that uh, I love my dad and, and appreciate him so much. And, and uh, I grew up with my dad uh, as my hero and he still is very much that today. I'm so grateful for him. But as a young man growing up, I used to see him in the gym and he was strong. And when there was an argument about whose dad was, would beat up whose dad, I mean, you had, you, I don't know, maybe the girls won't know this, but the guys said, my dad could beat your dad up or my dad's stronger than your dad. No one argued the point when I said, my dad's stronger than your dad. Everyone knew that my dad was stronger than their dad. And, and, uh, and I used to go to his powerlifting competitions as a young man and watch him push and bench press, you know, 400 pounds, which is a lot of weight. And uh, I, just, I just think, you know, imagine asking a 10-year-old me to bench press 400 pounds to prove that I was Keith Rainbow's son. One, I couldn't do it. Two, I've never been able to push 400 pounds. I'm just, I'm just Paul, you, you did that for breakfast. I mean, you're just, you're just a, you're a machine. I've seen Paul in the gym and I just, I just, I just go to the dressing room, I just hide. He's, he's a beast. But my, my dad was like that. And, 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 and uh, imagine the pressure and the weight on me as a, as a young kid having to prove that I was Keith's only my son by doing what he could do. That's not sonship. And the enemy wants you to prove that you're a Christian by what you do and what you say. And, and that's got nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity's got everything to do with having a relationship with you. And we get born again through accepting Jesus Christ into our Lives. Amen. Jesus was asked a lot of questions. And this is just an aside note, but I think it's worthy of mentioning. Jesus was asked a lot of questions. Most of them he ignored because he knew the agenda. And you realise that Jesus never actually answered the devil's questions directly because they had an agenda attached to them. Number six, the devil tempted Jesus in every area of his life. He doesn't just, doesn't just attack you in the area of your spirituality. But he attacked Jesus when it comes to his physicality, his, his physical being in the area of food. He appealed to that. Turn these stones into bread. 
Spiritually, he, he attacked him. and Emotionally, he attacked him. See, the devil wants your health. He wants your family. He wants your worship. And, and I believe this to be true. Whatever you neglect in your life, you will lose. And for as long as I can remember, I've always tried to have a holistic approach to life. Because what you don't attend, what you don't give attention to, you ultimately will lose. Number seven, the devil overplayed his hand. This is good. The devil overplayed his hand. See, when he started tempting Jesus, it was very subtle in the beginning. Turn these stones into bread. And you know, that in and of itself has an appearance of helping. I mean, feeding the hungry is a biblical virtue. So at first, the devil could look like he was actually helping Jesus. Hey, Jesus, if you turn these stones into bread, it's going to help you with an area of need in your life. And that is that you're hungry. That actually has a biblical virtue attached to it. We see that the, uh, this is how G Judas operated. When that woman came and poured perfume over the feet of Jesus, Judas said, hey, why this waste? That money could have been given to the poor. It sounds biblical. It sounds helpful. But the reality is there was an agenda to Judas saying that because he was a treasurer and he wasn't really a, a concerned about the poor at all. He just wanted the money for himself. And the devil was not concerned about the well-being of Jesus. He just wanted him to do something that he shouldn't do. So he starts subtle. But in the end, what I learnt, have learnt is that he always overplays his hand. The enemy always overplays his hand. And by the end of this tempting that's taking place in the desert, starts out, turn the stones in the bread. In the end, the devil says, bow down and worship me. It's pretty obvious now. It's pretty obvious. What started subtle becomes very blatant in the end. The devil always overplays his hand. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. Which brings me to point number eight and our last point right now. And that's the devil can't stand against the word of God. Jesus quoted the Scriptures. Three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, which parallels with Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. And Judas quotes the very, uh, Jesus sorry, quotes the very same Scriptures that were written in that time. It is written. It is written. It is written. And we need to read the Word of God. We need to meditate on the Word of God. We need to speak the Word of God. And we need to live the Word of God. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. See, it's not enough just to serve God. It must come from a place of worship. If we just serve God, we will ultimately burn out. It's worship first, then service. It's not worship or service, it's worship and service, but we've got to get the right order. The divine order is worship first. And then out of that worship, we serve Him. Out of that worship, we give to Him. All of our giving, all of our serving, all of our attending church comes out of a place of worship. And guess what happened? The devil left him. Eventually, he must flee. And it was there the angels ministered to Jesus. Jesus passed the test. He won the battle. And when you and I lean into Him, lean into Jesus, I believe just like Jesus won the battle, so we too will win the battle. We will have our victory when we trust Him, when we lean on Him and lean into Him. Let's not be scared of the enemy. Let's not be scared that we have an enemy. We need to be aware He has schemes, but we have one 
who has overcome Him. He's a defeated foe. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. So let's not be unaware of the devil's schemes, but let's use temptation to make us strong and not do wrong. Are you with me? I would love to lead us in a prayer today and then just flow into a little bit of worship before we close our service today. So wherever you are right now, maybe you can close your eyes and just stand where you are. Come on team, let's stand together as I lead us in a prayer. Father, I thank You for sending Jesus as atonement for my sin. I thank You for overcoming the enemy in every way, in every area, once and for all. That You paid the full price of my sin, past, present and future. I thank You for setting me free from the grip of the evil one. You have released me from the foulest snare that I might soar like an eagle, high above all of life's problems. Father, I thank You that You have given me everything for life and for godliness. You are El Shaddai, my all-sufficient One. Because of what You have done for me and what You have given, I come into Your presence with great boldness, joy and hope, free from accusation, free from condemnation. I ask You to grace my life with Your sufficient strength to help me overcome any area of life that I struggle in. Emotional struggles, financial struggles, relational struggles, physical struggles. I receive Your grace, I receive Your strength right here, right now in the Name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 